Today is Pentecost Sunday, and that is a special day for a variety, a lot of different reasons. Uh, Jewish, Jewish folks celebrate Pentecost Sunday, at, or Pentecost, I should say, as one of the three pilgrimage festivals uh, of Judaism. The pilgrimage festivals were uh, Feast of Passover, Tabernacles, and then Pentecost, and they, were, they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. On the day of Pentecost, which was part of that festival celebration, there were 120 who were gathered together in an upper room, and the Holy Spirit was outpoured upon them. That was the day of Pentecost. And then as Pentecostals, we celebrate the birth of the church, and we remember all uh, these last 21 centuries and all that God has done, beginning on that very, very significant day. And today we're going to talk a bit about what does it mean in the, as part of the after effects or this aftermath of the resurrection? Because Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to go away, and when I go away, I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the comforter to you. So that was the promise of Christ to us, that the Holy Spirit would be sent to us. And, you know, we're, I'm excited about what God wants to do in us, because here's the reality. Pentecost was a historical moment, but we can all use a new Pentecost in the 21st century. In 2019, when I think about that phrase or that thought, you know, here's the reality. Life is complex. And Marcy and I were just talking on the way to church this morning how things have changed so dramatically over the last 10 years. What is it going to be like in another 10 years? I am absolutely convinced that life just continues to get more and more complex every day. Well, when I think about the challenges that I experience, those challenges are also complex, but they're also increasing. Every time I turn around, society continues to blur right and wrong. We don't know what, what's coming next in relationship to our culture. Uncertainty grows every day of our lives. We need a new Pentecost within our lives, within our church, and within our world. And I believe God wants us to experience and live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that for a while this morning, but I want to remind you of a verse that we're using in this series of messages. And it's Proverbs 23, verse 18 from the Living Bible. And I love this phrase, you have a wonderful future ahead of you and there is hope for you yet. Why is that connected to this, this topic of really the life of the Spirit? Why? Because I believe that God wants to, the fullness of the Spirit in all of our lives. And that is a hope that I have for me and for all of us. We consider the topic today, I want to revisit something uh, from September of last year. Uh, we did a series of messages, which we'll do again in September, called Curious, uh, God's Answers to Your Curious Questions. And one of the things we did for a couple of weeks, we talked about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And Pastor Jeremiah did a great job of kind of putting the theological perspective behind the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And I came through with more of the practical side of things. And some of the things that I shared, I just want to revisit very quickly about the Holy Spirit himself. First, the Holy Spirit helps us. He is with us. He lives in us. He teaches us. He reminds us of everything that Jesus taught. He tells us about Jesus. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He guides us and he glorifies Jesus. Remember, it's important to know that the Holy Spirit is God in his fullness. He is not an after statement. He is not an addendum to the Father and the and the Son. He is fully God in all that he is, all who he is and all that he does. And the moment that we come to faith in Jesus Christ, 
The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. The very presence of God himself lives with us. If you go back to the Old Testament, you study, you find that the, the, the Spirit of God, the presence of God inhabited the temple, literally was in the Holy of Holies. But now the same presence of God is with us. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible privilege. What an honor that God himself would take up residence in our lives. The moment we come to faith in Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence within us. And we pass from death to life. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 20 and verse number 22, Jesus has been resurrected and he's meeting with his disciples and then we read this. He took uh, then he took a deep breath and he breathed into them, receive the Holy Spirit. There was a transformation of these individuals gathered with Jesus on the night that he was, that he, he appeared to them after his resurrection. But Jesus did some things from there that there's kind of a chronology, as it were, of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to share it with you because there was more that was to happen in their lives. In, in, Luke chapter 24, we find out that Jesus commanded the disciples to wait for the power of God to be outpoured, even though he had said, he breathed into them the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to wait. I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So there was something more. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, Jesus promises that the the disciples of the power of the Holy Spirit that would equip them and be with them. Listen to what he would say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. Understand that when the Holy Spirit was outpoured, the promise of the Spirit that Jesus made, it was for a character change, but it was also to be something, but it was also to do something. God would change hearts and lives Character would be transformed, but there would also be action connected. And then finally, the Holy Spirit was outpoured on the day of Pentecost. And listen to these great words in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit Enable them. I've thought, I want you to just think about this passage for a moment. Can you imagine being in this room? 120 individuals are gathered together. Now, I don't know what, what, the, what the room looked like. I don't know if the doors were shut and the windows were down. But you notice what the text says? There was a sound of a violent wind. It doesn't say that the wind was blowing. It says that there was the sound of a violent wind. Now, think about that for a moment. If we were in this room and there was a sound of a violent wind in this room, I can tell you exactly what would happen. We'd all start looking around and begin to ask ourselves this question, what is going on? Something's happening. But then there was a second something that happened. Little flames of fire began to appear above the heads who were gathered. And again, they're looking around going, what's that? And they go, well, you got one too? They're all, in fact, everybody's got one. And then... 
marvelously, they began to praise God in languages they had never learned. And those that were observing this said, these people are out of their minds, they're all drunk, there's something going on. And Peter stands up and said, these that you see are not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was promised of the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and that's happening right now. Now, you know something? We could use a new Pentecost today. We could use some supernatural occasions and occurrences of God. We could use the dynamic power of the Spirit of God, not just for the sake of experience, but so that our world and our lives and our world would be transformed as the first centuries was. I'm a third generation Pentecostal. This is my experience. This is all I know. And I love it. I'm proud that I am. My grandparents, especially my, specifically my grandmothers, came to faith in Christ and were baptized in the Holy Spirit around the beginning of the, of the 20th century, early 1900s. My mom and dad came to faith following their example and followed, followed them in assemblies. Of, they were assemblies of God folks from, from the earliest of, of the beginnings of our fellowship. And my mom and dad served in ministry for 60, nearly 60 years prior to going, uh, going off and going to heaven and excited to have that as my heritage. When I was 10 years old, I really gave my, I life, my life to Christ and, and followed the Lord, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues that, that same night. So this has been my experience, been my life, and I'm, I'm very, very pleased and proud that that is my heritage. As I grew through my later adolescence and into my teenage years, it didn't, I didn't fully comprehend or understand the, uh, all that there was about being a, a follower of Christ as well as being a Pentecostal follower of Christ. When I was 17, however, my dad literally sent me off to youth camp to get my life straightened back out. It wasn't that I was so far off track, but I was far enough off track that dad knew it, and he said, no, you got to get, this has got to get straightened up. And while I was in camp, God just did some incredible things in my life, and I had a dynamic moment with God and really reoriented my life and put me back on track, and reestablished my purpose. And from that moment on, age 17, I have, I've, never, I've never turned back. I, I've been all in. And I will tell you, I have been absolutely perfect from that moment forward. And there could be nothing farther from the truth. No, perfection, no. Was I, was I always, of course I wasn't perfect, but I will tell you, I've been all in. I've been all in from that moment forward. And well, I'm grateful for my experience, and I, I want to I phrase this. I want you to listen to how intentionally I want to phrase this. I'm grateful for my experiences and my life. But my desire is for more than what I have experienced. Hear me? My desire is for more than what I have experienced and what I have lived. So, my question to myself is, what is my present reality? What, what, how am I living out Pentecost today? What does it mean for me on June 9th, 2019? Or better, or better yet, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll phrase it this way. Am I living a spirit-filled life today? Today. So here's something I want you to carry with you through the day. Being filled with the Spirit needs to be a lifestyle more than a memory. Being filled with the Spirit needs to be more than a, more, needs to be a lifestyle 
not a memory. Well, so what might that look like? What might look, we're going to talk about that for a little while. And we're going to do so from Ephesians chapter 5. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. And let me just somehow, in the text, a couple of words got switched around, and I apologize for that. So follow what's on the screen, and you can make the adjustment in your notes. You'll see that little bit of a change. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, I pray in these moments together, speak to us. Let there be a new Pentecost among us and in our lives daily, in Jesus' name, amen. I love, I love this passage of Scripture. It is a significant passage of Scripture, and there's a number of imperatives that Paul gives, and they're all just amazing, but there's one imperative that just really stands above the rest and really gives kind of the framework to everything else that's here. And and it might surprise you as to which one it is, and it's this one. Be very careful then how you live. That is an incredibly powerful statement because it determines literally everything else that follows. Be careful how you live. You see, Paul does something here. He uses some contrasts. He uses a not-but contrast. And he does it in three different ways. He says, don't live, ready for this, not as unwise, but as wise. And then the second one, not foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is. And the third one is, not drunk, but filled with the Spirit. All of these come from being very careful how you live. And I think about that for me. How, how, am, I, how am I doing with my life itself? Am I careful over my life or am I careless? Strong, strong thought for me. But what does it mean then in this last imperative when he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit? Three things that I want to just leave with you as I see, as I define it. Number one is this. First, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means that the Holy Spirit is the controlling influence, motivating and directing our lives. The Holy Spirit is the controlling influence, motivating and directing our lives. If I am filled with joy, we get what that is. If I'm filled with knowledge, we know what that is. If I'm filled with grief, we understand it. And it is the same with being filled with the Spirit. It needs to dominate. It needs to describe who we are. So let me ask you this question. Is the Holy Spirit correcting, or excuse me, controlling, is it the controlling influence motivating and directing your life? Is it the Holy Spirit that is doing that? The second thing that it means is that we're to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually filled. The force of the Greek verb is is really significant. When Paul says to be filled with the Spirit, the verb literally means this, go on being filled. Why is it significant? Because Paul could have used another verb, which would have said this, be filled once. But he did not use that verb, and he did not use it intentionally. Because being continually filled with the Holy Spirit is something that is absolutely essential in my life and in ours. I'm curious. 
I'm going to ask this question, and I'm telling you, I, we have, we've been to our share of parties already, when everywhere we've gone, it's happened, and it's food, and it's great, and I love it, but I got a question for you, and you got to answer it, and if you don't raise your hand, that means you're fasting. How many of you, at some point today, are going to eat lunch, brunch, dinner, something? You're going to eat something today. Lift your hand. 100%. We're all going to do it. You know something? We don't just eat one time, and we're done. We eat every day, and some of us eat multiple times a day and night and all day long, kind of like we're doing now with all the grad parties. And it's all great. I love it. But isn't it interesting? We don't think anything about with remaining con- or continually eating. We don't think anything about eating today and then, oh, we're not going to eat tomorrow or the next day. No, we're... but isn't it the same with nurturing the spirit of God within our life? That's what Paul is saying. So have you been filled is the question. And are you still full? Have you been filled and are you still full? It doesn't matter if you were filled 30 years ago or you were filled yesterday. What matters matters is whether you are full of the Holy Spirit right at this moment. Having been filled, having been filled is not the same as being full. The third thing that it means, it means less about periodic ecstatic experiences, and more about transformation. And I want to just focus on this for a minute. Now understand, I grew up in, an ex- in, in a very traditional, classical Pentecostal tradition. And I am very grateful for that. And experiences and emotion were all part of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But understand, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit continually is is less about the ecstatic experience and more about the transformation of our character by the presence of God who lives within us. And that is so important. It doesn't eliminate the senses or the emotions or experiences. But its emphasis, and hear this, its emphasis tilts towards observable character and demonstrable actions. It is what Christ has done within me. Understand what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He said the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. What is that? It's the character transformation that God has done in us and, and deposits within us His Spirit. Our lives should be different Our character should be different, which then translates to action. I want the presence of Christ to empower and shape my life. And I pray the same for you. Now, I'm not a particular late-night television fan. I used to be much more so, but I'm just not. But if I guess I had to pick a favorite today of my late-night TV guys, it would be Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon makes me laugh. I don't stay up about once every eight months to watch The Tonight Show. I will watch a little clip here and there of YouTube and laugh a little bit and then go on with my life. Now, it didn't used to be that way. I used to watch a little bit of David Letterman when David Letterman was in late night. And I watched David Letterman for one reason. He did top 10 lists. If you remember, he did top 10. I would watch the top 10 list and then go to bed. So as I was preparing this week, I found a top 10 list, a top 10 list of things that I guess you could say are indicators of the Spirit of God actively working within our life. And I want to give them to you. They're not in your notes, but they'll be on the screen. If you want to take a screenshot with your, with your phone, please do. Number one, 
These are indications of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. Number one, you find it unexpectedly easier to be patient and kind. Think about that. Because, once again, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, what? Kindness. What ends up happening is because we have been changed, our character has been changed, it's just easier to be patient. It's easier to be kind. If it's not there, then do the math. Number two, you sense an urgency to pray for a friend or a family member. You, you just, something just begins to bubble up in your spirit. I need to pray for her. Or maybe you're woken up in the middle of the night and someone's name comes to your mind. You begin to pray. This is the activity of the spirit within your life. Number three, you long to spend time with God and to be in his presence. There are just times, maybe you're at the beach And you're just walking on the beach and you're just overwhelmed with the beauty. Or you're in the redwoods in Northern California. Or you're at the Grand Canyon or somewhere out in the middle of God's creation. And just something overwhelms you. Just say, God, thank you for what you have provided. What is that? It's the activity of the Spirit within your life. Reminding reminding you of whose you are, of of to whom you belong. Number four, the the Bible makes sense to you as never before. I have this happen often, and it's, it's so remarkable to me where a scripture will jump off of the pages in ways that I haven't seen it before or in, in years. It just means something more. It's, it speaks directly to that moment of my life that's the Spirit's activity. You see, one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do, it will remind us of everything that Je- He will remind us of everything Jesus taught. And it will remind us of his word. He will remind us of his word. Your appetite for God's word grows stronger and stronger. Number five. You also, number six, you have a greater recall of scripture than ever before. Once again, the the, the word of God comes alive in our life in new and fresh ways. Number seven, you develop a language in prayer that's just between you and God. And I want to encourage you this morning. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit With an evidence of speaking in tongues, let me encourage you, just ask God to provide, to give to you that which he has promised all of us. And begin to pray in a language that you have not learned. And begin to pray and worship in the perfect will and language of the Spirit. The perfect will of God in the language of the Spirit. Let me encourage you, pray in the Spirit on a daily basis, the Scripture tells us. Number eight, you have dreams that illuminate God's heart. I've had people come to me and said, I've had a dream and this is what I believe God is saying or God has used dreams in my life. He will continue to do the same in you. He will do the same in yours. Number nine, you sense God's nearness and comfort when you're grieving. And number 10 is very, very close and kind with that. You feel unexplainable peace in the midst of stressful circumstances. I want to tell you, I don't. I was telling someone not too long ago, we were walking through some challenging times and people were praying. And I'm telling you, I could sense and I knew that people were praying. I could sense the presence of God and the peace of God. It's the Spirit's activity within our life. Understand, these are less, these are less about an ecstatic experience and more how our lives have been transformed and the outcomes that are connected to them. See, when we're overwhelmed with the Spirit, our lives change from the inside out. We're different folks. And so, to be full of the Spirit, here's my prayer for us today. To be full of the Spirit and to be continually filled. That's my prayer. To be full of the Spirit and continually filled.
As I studied this week and prepared for this morning, I, the message really took, in many respects, at least to me, it took kind of a right turn. And it, it, it came out in unexpected ways. And so there's, let me, let me just, let me, so it, what I'm going to share in these next few moments is just something I could not get away from. And I believe it's just really important for all of us. It's important for me, but all of us. A few years ago, Marcy and I had the privilege of being in, on the island of Maui, enjoying some vacation time. And we were with two of our kids. And we had decided, no, I shouldn't say that. I had decided, let's do something different today. Let's drive the north side of the island back to the west side of the island. Now, if you've ever been to Maui, let me, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you have not been, let me just say this. Don't do that, okay? I'm just going to say, don't do that. Because that road, that road is a one-lane road. And that's the first thing. Now, I know, notice I said one-lane road, not two-lane road. It's a one-lane road. And the first step, the first step is a severe step all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Not 10 feet, hundreds of feet, if not 1,000 feet. And it, is, it was wonderful. I was doing the best I could to drive and navigate and do what I could to, to find my way. And then when a car would come the other direction, you had to stop and you had to back up and figure out a little wider spot in the road or go up. And, people live out there and I'd go up on a driveway, let them pass and go on. You know, and I was doing the best I could. I was a little nervous, but my, my dear wife, it was okay for me because I was up against the hillside. She was up against the ocean. So she would look out the, out the, literally look out the window and look down. And let me just, let me just say it this way. This is a this is a never <laughs> this is a never to be forgotten experience and a never to be repeated experience. It was just stressful. And here's the other part of this: there are no guardrails on that. There's nothing there. It is the road, and it is the ocean. It is just and I we got done with that. I said, okay, that well, that was a one time experience. We're never doing that again. So every now the joke is, if we're back in Maui, I say, hey, let's drive the north side of the island. Well, that doesn't go over too well, as you might imagine. Why am I, ta- why am I saying this? Guardrails. Guardrails. Why are guardrails in place? Guardrails protect. They guard. They keep things in place. They secure. They provide a boundary for your vehicle. So you know not to, not to go beyond this. Th- that there's something that will help you Kind of understand, don't go, don't go there. If you hit it, it'll, it's supposed to kind of push you back in or at least make you so aware that you will get back into the proper lane and keep on purpose and direction. And honestly, I see some guard, guardrails for the Spirit of God within our lives. They'll protect us, they'll secure, they'll keep things in place, they'll help us stay on track. And so I want to give you six thoughts this morning from our text that I really... I just could not ignore, I could not get away from, that I think help us understand what a lifestyle of the Spirit looks like and how we can be protected and guarded. And then when we begin to get off of that track, it'll allow us to get back into where God would have us. The first is this, a lifestyle of the Spirit lives carefully. A lifestyle of the Spirit lives carefully. Paul said it, be careful then how you live. Now, I understand that is, a, that is a key imperative of this passage. But I also believe that it is something that we have to take very seriously about a lifestyle of the Spirit. We cannot 
people of God, we cannot live careless lives and expect the power of the dynamic spirit of God who lives in us to be poured out into our, through our lives and into, into the world in which we live. We cannot be careless in how we live. We have to guard our lives of faith. This is a guardrail for us. When we begin to sense that we're moving off track, we've got to be sensitive to that and realign ourselves with what God is saying. Proverbs 19 and verse 16 says, Keep the rules and keep your life. Careless living, what? Kills. I don't want to live carelessly. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16 says, Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and for the salvation of those who hear you. How are we caring for our lives? Are we careful? Or do we believe that grace is so large that we can just take advantage of the grace of God and we'll always have the presence and the power of God? I would suggest this. The Holy Spirit is by virtue and by name holy. And there is nothing old-fashioned about being holy. It may sound old school, but I want to tell you we need to be people who are holy because He is holy and believe for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Take care of how we live. Take care of how we live. Second, as a lifestyle of the Spirit uses time well, Paul said very, very clearly, make, making the most of every opportunity. Or another translation would say, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Buying back this time. In other words, not wasting or squandering that time. A couple weeks ago, I, I preached on generosity as an aftermath of the resurrection. And one of those thoughts was how we use time. We're going to make time for the things that we value. And I wonder how much, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, but for me, how much time do I invest in the nurturing of the Spirit of God within my life? How much time do I waste that pushes me farther and farther towards that guardrail and maybe even pushing against that guardrail in ways that aren't positive? We, we will always find time for the things we value. And Paul says two things. First, make the most. Make the most of our time. Redeem that time. So are we redeeming it? Are we investing it? Psalm 90 and verse 12, teach us to use. Teach us to use wisely all the time that we have. Let's nurture the Spirit of God. Second, Paul talks about that the days are evil. And understand how this, how this factors to being a guardrail. Using wisely our time, investing or nurturing the Spirit of God, using time appropriately, investing it. But what about this? No one will deny the fact that the days that we're living in are evil. Can we just, can we just be honest for a minute? The world's messed up. There's evil around us. And I just would ask this, can you feel it? Do you notice it? I do. Think, I don't know what things, where it's going to spiral. I don't know how bad things are going to get, but I know this, things aren't going to get better. They're only going to continue to, to get worse and worse. And it's, it's the grieving in my spirit that I sense that. I understand. Knowing this, and the guardrail is, it calls for an urgency and an attentiveness to the world in which we live as we are filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. We are, have a heightened awareness of the conditions of our world and the great need that our world has for God and that the answer for our world is God. And it 
It's through us. Remember, it is not only to be, but it is also to do. That's what the outpouring of the Spirit is. Yes, it is character transformation, but it's also in demonstrable actions. Paul said in Ephesians 6, as you continue to read, that there's a spiritual struggle. Do you feel it? It's here. It's real. And as we feel it and as we're aware, as we're attentive, again, it's a guardrail of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, Mark 13, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Be aware. Be alert. Number three is a lifestyle of the Spirit understands God's will. Understands God's will. I can't, I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in over the years with people asking this question, how can I find the will of God? And I, it's a legitimate question. I've asked that question. Lord, I want to be... I want to be sensitive to your leadership. I want to be sensitive to your will. I believe this is a guardrail. You know, I don't think that the will of God is as elusive as we make it out to be. And it may be that this, if this guardrail, it might be elusive if this guardrail is absent in our life. That we're always searching for something else. But I'm absolutely convinced that as we are transformed by the character of Christ and we are living filled with the Holy Spirit, the will of God becomes far more understandable within our lives. Romans 12, 2, don't copy. Look at this. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, when we take care of our lives, when we're nurturing the presence of God, what's going to happen? We're going to know the will of God because we are being transformed daily by his character and becoming our character. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. For what? This is God's will for you, which is in Christ Jesus. We said earlier that transformation Allowing Christ to shape us and empower us and direct us is evidence that we are being filled and remaining full of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Paul says in chapter 12 of Romans. He says you are transformed and you're going to know the will of God. When you are always doing certain things, that means your behavior has been adjusted. Your character has been changed. Therefore, you know what the will of God is and you're actually acting out the will of God. I would suggest that to be filled with the Spirit daily Be filled with the Spirit daily, and the will of God will become abundantly clear. Number five, a lifestyle of the Spirit avoids, number four, excuse me, a lifestyle of the Spirit avoids any excessive indulgence. This is a critical one. Paul contrasts being drunk with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness in the first century in the ancient world was a real problem. And I'm just going to make this statement. It remains a real problem today. And maybe more so. There's a lot of reasons for that. But understand this. Drunkenness, and I want you to hear my heart in this. Drunkenness is a sin. There's there's no way around that. Drunkenness is a sin. And Scripture makes that abundantly clear. But hear what I'm going to say. No one engages, no one, no one engages in this behavior without beginning with one drink. It has to start somewhere. And I, as your pastor, would be remiss if I did not say what's on my heart. I'm troubled in so many ways by our, I guess you could say, contemporary attitudes towards drinking. And it concerns me. 
And Paul, Paul is very clear. He says drunkenness, ready, leads to debauchery. That's what he was concerned with, is where it leads. And, and drunkenness, understand, or debauchery rather, it means wasteful living. And we have been in, in the city of Temecula Murrieta, we have been faced with the outcomes, with what these things lead to. Just this past 10 days, a teenage girl lost her life because of drunk driving this past week. 15 years old, in an instant, in eternity. A young 44-year-old woman was killed instantly on I-15. Instantly because of driving under the influence, whether it's alcohol or drugs. The point is, the excessive, the excessive behavior led to consequences that destroyed life. I don't want anything to do with that. So I'm just going to say as your pastor, be careful. I have to be careful. Why? Because I come from a background of alcoholism. I don't want any excessive behavior in my life. I'm going to avoid that. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want the character of Christ to be all that people see within my life. That's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for us. Spirit-filled lifestyle avoids any excessive indulgence. It's not just drinking. Any excessive indulgence. I don't know what that might mean to you, but be careful. Be careful. Number five, a lifestyle of the Spirit requires obedience. Requires obedience. Paul says it this way, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a suggestion. That's a command. That's a command. And not only so, think about this. What a privilege. What a privilege to be commanded to be filled with the Spirit. To live a lifestyle that is full of the Holy Spirit. I, I, and be obedient. When we're obedient, what happens is obedient and we enjoy the power, the power of continual, continual transformation. A guardrail of obedience produces blessing within our life. Why wouldn't I be obedient and be filled with the Spirit and do all that I can do to nurture the presence of God within my life? 1 John chapter 5, loving God means obeying His commands, and God's commands are not too hard for us. And then finally, a lifestyle of the Spirit results in an exceptional lifestyle. Exceptional lifestyle. Paul talks about psalms and hymns, thanks and submission. A few minutes ago, I gave you a top 10 list of indicators of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. Paul gives some power, powerful results or outcomes, evidences that the Holy Spirit is transforming us daily. These are like, these are like the posts on the guardrails, as it were, that support it. And what surprised me as I studied this week is how significant these three things are. And let me illustrate it to you this way. Many of us have watches with batteries in them. And, you know, that's kind of, that's normal. A lot of watches have batteries. But here's something that happens. Eventually, that battery is going to die. And you have to take the battery out and you have to replace it. Now, I have watches that have batteries. And some of them, are de some of them have died and I've replaced the batteries. Now, I have a watch on this morning that is a perpetual, or it has what is called, and I'm not an expert on this, but what I, only reason I know this, I've had to have one replaced, has an actuator in it. 
And every time I move my wrist, it winds the watch. So every, as I'm wearing it, now it's continuously winding, and it will always be ready to go. It's good to go. It's always full, and it's always being filled. Always. Now, if I take it off and put it in my drawer, which I do, and I leave it for a few days, pick it up, what's happened? It's dead. But when I put it back on and start to move, it reactivates. I would suggest the three things that I'm going to give you right now are actuators to, to keeping the spirit alive within us. And honestly, these things in some respects surprise me. I never really considered it quite like this. But the first one is this, authentic worship. When we worship God, something happens within us. Our spirit is filled up, and it remains filled up. And every time we worship, the, the presence of God is actuated in us, and it just grows, and it grows, and it grows. And you know something? Yes, we can worship right in this room, and we're going to do that in just a few moments. But understand this. You can worship in your car. You can worship at your home. And I want to encourage you to let the Spirit of God grow and be filled with the Spirit as you authentically worship God on a daily basis. John 4.23 says, But a time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship this Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. For those who, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Be authentically, be a worshiper and, and authentically worship God and let the Spirit of God continue to fill you. The second one is continuous gratitude. Continuous gratitude. Paul says it, always giving thanks. There it is. Can you imagine? Think about it. A person who is not thankful, I, I don't know how a person who can be a Christ follower and not be grateful. But think of it this way. What if we were continuously grateful? What does that do? It only points us back to the source, the one who has poured out his life for us, the one who has deposited his spirit into our lives. We have the privilege of being a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, an heir of the Father. Oh my goodness, why wouldn't we be thankful? Continuous gratitude will allow the spirit of God to continue to grow within you. You will be filled and you will be full as we are continuously grateful. The third one is the one that really rocked me even more so than these two. And it's mutual submission. Mutual submission. If you continue to read in, first, in Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ or in the fear of the Lord. Paul goes on and he talks about wives submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, we submit in the same way. And then he goes on and he talks about parents. And he talks about children. And he talks about slaves. He's talking about relationships and the community that's there. You see, this mutual submission is humility. This is humility in action. And when we are truly submissive in a godly way, something's going to happen. It's going to build or allow the Spirit of God to fill us again and again and again. So put these three things together. When we worship authentically, when we are continuously grateful, and when we are in mutual submission, the Spirit of God is filling us and we are full and it is filling us and we are full and we live a lifestyle that is filled and full of the Holy Spirit. Continually filled and full. That is my prayer for us this morning. I'm confident that if we keep these six things close, 
if we remain aware of the indicators that we've talked about, and we eliminate anything that grieves the Holy Spirit, we can be full. We can be full of the Spirit and continually filled. And that is my prayer for us this morning. So here's what we're going to do today. And I'm coming out of the lights because it's just much more comfortable and I won't fall off the stairs this way, which is a good thing. For me, as I talk about a or I have a, we talk about a topic like this, I go back to my experiences as a, as a kid and as a teenager. I'm grateful for all of them. But something that has so struck me is the idea of the character transformation more than the experience. It doesn't mean that experiences aren't val- valuable and good. They are, and I value them. But I want people to see the character change within me of what God has done in me. I want truly to be filled with the Holy Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit every day. I want my life to honor God and I want love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control to be what people see in me. And they can look at me and say, not for the sake of pride, but they can say, there's just something different about that guy. Something different about that gal. Could we be a people who are filled continually with the Holy Spirit and full of His Spirit? That we would do the right things, that we would do the things that would actuate and keep the momentum of the Spirit always full, vibrant. I believe we can. So we're going to do that this morning in a pretty simple way. I'm just going to ask you to worship with me. That's all. What does Paul say? He said, speak to one another in psalms and hymns, songs of the Spirit. Essentially, he's saying, worship. I believe something happens when we worship. I believe the presence of God overwhelms us. And if there's an experience out of that, so be it. But I'm not as concerned about the experience as much as I am for him to transform me and to fill me up because I need to be filled up and I need to be full of the Spirit. So I want us to just allow the presence of God to fill us today.